0: Section 9 of Popular Lectures on Scientific Subjects. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Popular Lectures on Scientific Subjects by Hermann von Helmholtz. Chapter 4, Part 2, On the Origin of the Planetary System. We now possess a method, devised by M. M. Janssen and Lockyer, by which they may at any time be seen by the aid of the spectroscope. On the other hand, there are individual darker parts on the sun's surface, what are called sunspots, which were seen as long ago as by Galileo. They are funnel-shaped. The sides of the funnel are not so dark as the deepest part, the core. Their diameter is often more than many tens of thousands of miles, so that two or three earths could lie in one of them. These spots may stand for weeks or months slowly changing, before they are again resolved, and meanwhile several rotations of the sun may take place. Sometimes, however, there are very rapid changes in them. That the core is deeper than the edge of the surrounding penumbra follows from their respective displacements as they come near the edge, and are therefore seen in a very oblique direction. Just on the edge of these spots, there are spectroscopic indications of the most violent motion, and in their vicinity, there are often large protuberances. They show comparatively often a rotatory motion. They may be considered to be places where the cooler gases from the outer layers of the sun's atmosphere sink down, and perhaps produce local superficial coolings of the sun's mass. To understand the origin of these phenomena, it must be remembered that the gases— as they rise from the hot body of the sun, are charged with vapors of difficultly volatile metals, which expand as they ascend, and partly by their expansion and partly by radiation into space, must become cooled. At the same time, they deposit their more difficultly volatile constituents as fog or cloud. This cooling can only, of course, be regarded as comparative. Their temperature is probably, even then, higher than any temperature attainable on the earth. If now the upper layers, freed from the heavier vapors, sink down, there will be a space over the sun's body which is free from cloud. They appear then as depressions because about them are layers of ignited vapors as much as 500 miles in height. Violent storms cannot fail to occur in the sun's atmosphere because it is cooled on the outside and the coolest and comparatively densest and heaviest parts come to lie over the hotter and lighter ones. This is the reason why we have frequent, and at times sudden and violent movements in the Earth's atmosphere, because this is heated from the ground made hot by the sun and is cooled above. With the far more colossal magnitude and temperature of the sun, its meteorological processes are on a far larger scale and are far more violent. We will now pass to the question of the permanence of the present condition of our system. For a long time the view was pretty generally held that, in its chief features at any rate, it was unchangeable. This opinion was based mainly on the conclusions at which Laplace had arrived as the final results of his long and laborious investigations of the influence of planetary disturbances. By disturbances of planetary motion, astronomers understand, as I have already mentioned, those deviations from the purely elliptical motion which are due to the attraction of various planets and satellites upon each other the attraction of the sun as by far the largest body of our system is indeed the chief and preponderating force which produces the motion of the planets if it alone were operative each of the planets would move continuously in a constant ellipse whose axes would retain the same direction and the same magnitude making the revolutions always in the same length of time but in point of fact in addition to the attraction of the sun there are the attractions of all other planets which though small yet in long periods of time do effect slow changes in the plane the direction and the magnitude of the axes of its elliptical orbit It has been asked whether these attractions in the orbit of the planet could go so far as to cause two adjacent planets to encounter each other so that individual ones fall into the sun. Laplace was able to reply that this could not be the case, that all alterations in the planetary orbits produced by this kind of disturbance must periodically increase and decrease, and again revert to a mean condition. But it must not be forgotten that this result of Laplace's investigations, only applies to disturbance due to the reciprocal attraction of planets upon each other, and on the assumption that no forces of other kinds have any influence on their motions. On our Earth we cannot produce such an everlasting motion as that of the planets seems to be, for resisting forces are continually being opposed to all movements of terrestrial bodies. The best known of these are what we call friction, resistance of the air, and inelastic impact hence the fundamental law of mechanics according to which every motion of a body on which no force acts goes on in a straight line forever with unchanged velocity never holds fully even if we eliminate the influence of gravity in a ball for example which rolls on a plane surface we see it go on for a while and the further the smoother is the path but at the same time we hear the rolling ball make a clattering sound that is it produces waves of sound in the surrounding bodies there is friction even on the smoothest surface this sets the surrounding air in vibration and imparts to it some of its own motion thus it happens that its velocity is continually less and less until it finally ceases in like manner even the most carefully constructed wheel which plays upon fine points once made to turn goes on for a quarter of an hour or even more but then stops for there is always some friction on the axles and in addition there is resistance of the air which resistance is mainly due to that of the particles of air against each other due to their friction against the wheel if we could once set a body in rotation and keep it from falling without its being supported by another body and if we could transfer the whole arrangement to an absolute vacuum it would continue to move forever with undiminished velocity This case, which cannot be realized on terrestrial bodies, is apparently met with in the planets with their satellites. They appear to move in the perfectly vacuous cosmical space, without contact with any body which could produce friction, and hence their motion seems to be one which never diminishes. You see, however, that the justification of this conclusion depends on the question whether cosmical space is really quite vacuous. Is there nowhere any friction in the motion of the planets? From the progress which the knowledge of nature has made since the time of Laplace, we must now answer both questions in the negative. Celestial space is not absolutely vacuous. In the first place, it is filled by that continuous medium, the agitation of which constitutes light and radiant heat, and which physicists know as the luminiferous ether. In the second place, large and small fragments of heavy matter from the size of huge stones to that of dust are still everywhere scattered at any rate in those parts of space which our earth traverses the existence of the luminiferous ether cannot be considered doubtful that light and radiant heat are due to a motion which spreads in all directions has been sufficiently proved for the transference of such a motion through space there must be something which can be moved indeed from the magnitude of the action of this motion or from that which the science of mechanics calls its vis viva we may indeed assign certain limits for the density of this medium such a calculation has been made by sir w thompson the celebrated glasgow physicist he has found that the density may possibly be far less than that of the air in the most perfect exhaustion obtainable by a good air-pump but that the mass of the ether cannot be absolutely equal to zero. A volume equal to that of the earth cannot contain less than 2,775 pounds of luminous ether. The phenomena in celestial space are in conformity with this. Just as a heavy stone flung through the air shows scarcely any influence of the resistance of the air, while a light feather is appreciably hindered, in like manner the medium which fills space is far too attenuated for any diminution to have been perceived in the motion of the planets since the time in which we possess astronomical observations of their path. It is different with the smaller bodies of our system. Encke, in particular has shown, with reference to the well-known small comet which bears his name, that it circulates round the sun in ever-diminishing orbits and in ever-shorter periods of revolution. Its motion is similar to that of the circular pendulum which we have mentioned, and which having its velocity gradually delayed by the resistance of the air describes circles about its centre of attraction which continually become smaller and smaller the reason for this phenomenon is the following the force which offers a resistance to the attraction of the sun on all comets and planets and which prevents them from getting continually nearer to the sun is what is called the centrifugal force that is, the tendency to continue their motion in a straight line in the direction of their path. As the force of their motion diminishes, they yield by a corresponding amount to the attraction of the sun and get nearer to it. If the resistance continues, they will continue to get nearer the sun until they fall into it. Ancus Comet is no doubt in this condition, but the resistance whose presence in space is hereby indicated must act, and has long continued to act, in the same manner on the far larger masses of the planets. End of section nine read by Verlaviera, Las Cruces, New Mexico, USA september twenty sixth, twenty twenty one.